Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, when I was newly married and still in graduate school for my PhD, I read a book called The Explosive Child and still remember the opening scene talking about a child who had planned to have a waffle in the morning and upon finding out that that last waffle was already eaten by a sibling, reacted extremely and explosively. Not having children myself at the time, I of course thought that I couldn't possibly have children who would ever tantrum or be inflexible like that. And then you find yourself in the kitchen years later, listening to your child fall apart because his sibling took the broken piece of plastic that was clearly his, even though it had fallen on the floor. And you realize, oh, right, here we are. Because we all see it happen as parents, educators, coaches. We may not always talk about it, but all kids have moments from time to time when they struggle to handle life's expectations, stick to the routine, follow the plan, and do what they're asked. But what about the children with significant behavioral challenges who seem to have more of these moments? Moments that can be marked with crying, whining, and withdrawing, or more extreme behaviors like hitting, kicking, swearing, or spitting. How can we help both typically developing children as well as behaviorally challenging children who may be chronically inflexible or easily frustrated to problem solve and thrive at home, in school, and in our communities? For this, we will be turning to best-selling author and psychologist, Dr. Ross Green. Dr. Ross Green served as a faculty member at the Harvard Medical School for over 20 years and is well known as the author of the influential best-selling books, The Explosive Child and Lost at School, as well as Raising Human Beings and Lost and Found, and has helped to bring about an upcoming documentary called The Kids We Lose. He is a fierce and articulate advocate for the compassionate understanding and treatment of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers. Drawing upon vast clinical and consultation experience and research in the neurosciences, his innovative research-based collaborative and proactive solutions approach, which posits that challenging behavior is a result of lagging skills rather than lagging motivation, and emphasizes solving problems collaboratively rather than using motivational procedures, has been implemented in countless families and hundreds of schools, inpatient units, residential and juvenile detention centers. The collaborative and proactive solutions models helps parents, teachers, and kids work together to solve problems in a way that respects our kids while supporting them in improving their behavior. 
Dr. Green is also the founder of Lives in Balance, which aims to provide resources and programs to caregivers of behaviorally challenging kids, address the issues that cause many of these kids to slip through the cracks, and to promote practices that foster the better side of human nature in all children. I'm so excited to have Dr. Green on the show, such a powerful voice in the movement to collaboratively and proactively help children thrive. So welcome, Dr. Green, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you for having me on. I couldn't be more thrilled to have you. Before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you and read your books, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in helping parents, educators, and ultimately kids who are exhibiting challenging behavior? Well, what gets me up in the morning, and usually extremely early in the morning, is um, knowing that um, there are a lot of kids out there who are being mistreated, um, knowing that there's a lot of counterproductive stuff still being done to kids uh, in the interests of supposedly helping them, and knowing that um, you know you can never rest when it comes to helping people heighten their awareness uh, come to see that what they've been doing has been counterproductive and give them new tools that will help them a lot better than what they've been doing. So I never have trouble getting up in the morning. Well, we certainly appreciate you getting up and giving us these great solutions. I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. We know that all kids exhibit challenging behaviors from time to time. Your work often focuses on children who often exhibit challenging behaviors from, as you say, whining or pouting, withdrawing, screaming, swearing, to more extreme behaviors like spitting or kicking, throwing or stealing. So what's going on here? Why are those kids who are considered particularly and routinely challenging exhibiting these challenging behaviors? Well, I don't really make a huge distinction between the ones who we might say are really, really, really challenging and the ones who are only sometimes challenging. Uh, All of us look bad sometimes, so we're kind of all in the same boat. There Mm -hmm. are some kids who are worse than others. But we all look bad, and this is the important thing when there are expectations that we're having difficulty meeting. It's when everybody looks bad. Um, In the case of behaviorally challenging kids, their behavior is just signaling that or communicating that in a much more powerful uh, way. Um, So I don't deal with the behaviorally challenging variety any differently than I deal with the less challenging variety. But what the research has told us is that what distinguishes the ones who are communicating that they're having difficulty meeting expectations in ways that are more extreme is that they're lacking skills. And that, even though that's only one sentence, that's a really important thing to know because for most of human evolution, we've been thinking that these kids were lacking motivation. And that's why we've been rewarding and punishing them till the cows come home. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why these sticker chart companies are doing quite well Because for a very long time, the conventional wisdom was that this kid didn't want to do well. And in my work, the mantra is kids do well if they can. This is a matter of a kid who's lacking very important skills. And the good news is, is that if we solve those problems that are causing their challenging behavior, instead of simply trying to modify their behavior, the problems get solved, the behaviors improve, 
And best of all, and this is what the research is telling us, the skills the kid is lacking get taught. Mm, mm. And that's what we want, of course. Problems that are solved, behavior that is improved, and skills that are learned so that they can be generalized to other circumstances even when we're not there. But it brings up a question in my mind. I know that we have a lot of parents on here, grandparents, educators, after-school activity coaches listening to this podcast. And many people have been told, and they read about it, they've experienced themselves, maybe it's worked for them, maybe it hasn't. They've heard other parents or educators say it, or they were raised this way, that when you have a child who's exhibiting challenging behaviors, you need to have clear consequences. We need to focus on behavior modification techniques. They get angry and throw a toy, then that toy gets put away. They're, su- they're supposed to be doing their chores. They don't do them. They don't get to go out and play. But you say that this thinking is faulty. So can you explain your thought process here? What plan A and plan B is and what this all has to do with your model, collaborative, and proactive solutions? Well, it's not that adult-imposed consequences, rewards, and punishments don't affect a kid's behavior. So that's true. Problem is that those interventions, um, whether it's a timeout or even worse, a spanking or um, giving a kid a sticker or removing privileges, uh, those things are entirely focused on the kid's behavior. But if behavior is just the signal, then all we're really focused on when we're doing that stuff is the signal. But we aren't solving any of the problems that are causing those signals. So mm-hmm. timeouts mm-hmm. don't solve problems and timeouts don't teach skills. Uh, detentions don't, suspensions don't, expulsions don't, hitting a kid doesn't. Um, So all of these things that we've been doing to modify behavior, you know, they have a decent track record at modifying the behavior, but they have a terrible track record at solving the problems that are causing those behaviors or teaching skills, the kids, the kids, the skills that they're lacking. Uh, Here's the good news. As I've already said, if you solve the problems, the behaviors subside. So I guess my attitude is we could go after the behaviors and solve and teach nothing. Or we can solve the problems, teach the skills, and improve the behaviors. For me, it's a three-for-one sale. It's a (laughs) no-brainer. Now, the three plans that you mentioned, A, B, and C, refer to the three ways that I've articulated that adults respond to expectations that kids are having difficulty meeting or what I call unsolved problems. Uh, plan C is when you are actually removing the expectation for now, not because you're giving in, but because you're prioritizing. Uh, a lot of very behaviorally challenging kids have lots and lots of unsolved problems, expectations that they've been having difficulty meeting for a very long time. And by the way, the reason these kids have so many unsolved problems is because they never got solved. And the reason they never got solved is because people have been primarily focused on the kid's behavior rather than on the problems that were causing that behavior. Mm. Uh, Since they have so many unsolved problems and since we can't work on them all at once, we're gonna have to prioritize. Otherwise, we will end up solving nothing at all. That's plan C. Now, aside from prioritizing, there are some major advantages to plan C. Doesn't mean, by the way, that you're giving up on that expectation forever. It just means that you've got bigger fish to fry Other advantages of plan C is that any unsolved problem, any expectation you've removed for now 
won't set in motion a challenging episode because you don't have that expectation anymore, at least for now. And advantage number two, therefore, plan C is also very stabilizing um, because, well, all of these challenging episodes are being caused by these unmet expectations. If you remove the expectation, it's not going to set in motion a challenging episode. Now you actually have a kid who you can work with. That leaves us with only two other plans, and both represent a way to solve a problem with a kid. One is the way you are solving problems in this model. It's called Plan B. The other one is popular. That's called Plan A. Hmm. The big difference between them is that with Plan A, you are solving the problem unilaterally through the imposition of adult will, which causes challenging episodes, I should mention. Mm. With Plan B, you are solving the problem collaboratively uh, as a teammate, as a partner with the kid. Y'all are doing it together. And um, that's how you're doing it in this model. And that's why I don't have any trouble waking up in the morning because there's still a whole lot of people who need some help doing plan B. One of the things that you said and that I love is kids do well when they can. What does that really mean to a parent, teacher, or coach? And why is that statement so important? Well, it's many people have told me that that one line has was the real game changer for them. Um, it basically is saying that if this kid could do well, he or she would do well. And the reason that's important is because we adults are so quick to assume that the kid just isn't doing it because he's seeking attention mm-hmm. or manipulative or coercive or unmotivated or testing limits things I never say about anybody Mm. because I find that they are actually not true. But those uh, ways of characterizing kids who are struggling are implying that the kid isn't doing well because he doesn't want to do well. And all that does is it leads us adults to make the kid try to try to make the kid want to do well. And now we're back at rewarding and punishing again. So kids do all if they can is huge because it carries with it the assumption if he could do it, if he could meet that expectation, he would meet that expectation. We adults, one of the most important things we can do for this kid is to figure out uh, why he's having difficulty meeting those expectations. And that leads us to a very important instrument that I developed. It's on the website of the nonprofit, Lives in the Balance. It's called the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. What does it help parents and other caregivers do? Figure out what their kids' lagging skills and unsolved problems are. The uh, lagging skills help us understand, oh, so that's what's been getting in the way for my kid. Hmm. This is not motivation. The unsolved problems help caregivers with great precision know exactly what expectations the kid is having difficulty meeting and therefore exactly what unsolved problems need to be solved. What would be an example of the lagging skills or unsolved problems that could be the root of challenging behavior? Well, uh, in terms of lagging skills, some of them include difficulty making transitions, Mm. shifting from one mindset or task to another, 
uh, difficulty handling uh, problems without becoming emotionally activated, uh, difficulty shifting from uh, one uh, mindset to another, um, dif empath uh, difficulty empathizing with others, difficulty taking another person's perspective, uh, difficulty understanding what other people are saying or putting one's own thoughts into words. I've just mentioned about five of the 23 that are on the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. It's those lagging skills that provide us with our new lenses. Mm, mm. Solved problems would be things like difficulty brushing teeth before going to bed at night, difficulty completing the double-digit division problems for homework, uh, difficulty sharing toys with brother, uh, difficulty remaining seated at dinner time. Those are all expectations that the kid is apparently having difficulty meeting. That makes them problems that need to be solved. Okay, so once a parent or educator has gone through that assessment tool and has identified some of those lagging skills or unsolved problems, what is the next step? Prioritizing. Um, you know, if this is a kid who only has one or two unsolved problems, you don't have to prioritize. You just got two unsolved problems to work on. Um, and by the way, every kid, every kid, has an expectation that they're having difficulty reliably meeting. Every mm -hmm. kid. Mm -hmm. It's just that the behaviorally challenging ones often have, for reasons that I talked about earlier, many, many, many unsolved problems. Often, believe it or not, as many as 40, 50, mm -hmm. 60 different unsolved problems. Um, prioritizing is important because as we've already said, you can't work on 40, 50, 60 unsolved problems all at once. You can only pick two or three that are your top priority unsolved problems initially. The rest are plan C. The rest you are setting aside for now. You're picking the two or three that you wanna start working on right now, whichever ones they are. I usually recommend that people prioritize any unsolved problems that are setting in motion safety issues. That's often, the t that's always the top priority. If there are no safety issues, then we're either going with frequency, the unsolved problems that are setting in motion challenging episodes most often, or gravity, the unsolved problems that are having the greatest negative impact on this kid's life or the lives of other people. You get to pick two or three in the beginning. Once those are solved, you start working on some of the others. Prioritizing is crucial. If we don't prioritize, we're working on way too many things at once and both the kid and the caregivers get completely overwhelmed. Got it. Now, one of the things that you just mentioned is that you want to deal with the safety concerns first. So before we get into bolstering lagging skills or talking about solutions, can you just tell us what we should do in the moment when a child is exhibiting behaviors that you believe may compromise safety and may cause harm to himself or to others, and we are concerned about what might happen next? Well, the first thing I should say before I sort of answer the question directly is that the whole goal of this model is to get people out of the heat of the moment. Right. Most of the time that people find themselves, well, 99.9% .9 of the time, when people find themselves in the heat of the moment, it's because of an unsolved problem that was highly predictable in the first place. So really, heat of the moment mostly just tells us 
that we haven't yet figured out what those unsolved problems are yet. We haven't solved any of them yet. And so we're still getting stuck in the heat of the moment. So the whole goal of the model is to stay out of the heat of the moment. Once we're in the heat of the moment, all we can really do is rely on what all of those crisis management programs tell us to do, defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. That's all you can do in the heat of the moment. There's nothing great to do in the heat of the moment except defuse, de-escalate, keep everybody safe. But the whole goal is to get out of the heat of the moment. If we use the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems to figure out what this kid's lagging skills are, what this kid's unsolved problems are, he becomes a highly predictable kid, and we almost never find ourselves in the heat of the moment again. Mm. I am sure that that would give everybody a good collective breath. So let's get into the nitty gritty then. I'd love to talk about how problems do get solved or at least move to an understanding of what to do before the problem occurs again. So perhaps if we explore some of those unsolved problems or lagging skills, in the sense of a, a common occurrence, like let's say that every child in a classroom or a team or a household has a job to do. Some people call them chores, some refer to a job wheel, a family contribution, a job. And let's say that one child refuses to do his or her job. When asked to do it, that person ignores or, or goes and plays something else or maybe does some of the behaviors that we talked about, uh, yelling, screaming, pushing, and just persists and refuses to do it. So what is the parent, counselor, or teacher to do using the parameters of your framework? Well, uh, what we're talking about now is plan B, which is where we're actually trying to solve the problem. Right. Um, we're going to do that proactively because we've already identified the unsolved problems and we've already prioritized. So let's be really specific. And just one that I'm going to pull out of the hat as a chore, difficulty taking the garbage out on Tuesday mornings. Okay. That, right? Um, plan B consists of three steps, and it's going to be the th same three steps, whether it's difficulty taking the garbage out, uh, on Tuesday mornings, or difficulty coming home on time for curfew, or difficulty brushing teeth before going to bed at night. I don't rank unsolved problems in terms of degree of difficulty. Uh, I don't rank them. An unsolved problem is an unsolved problem. Now, there are caregivers who have more difficulty talking with kids about some problems than others, like a lot of parents find it a bit more uncomfortable to talk with their kid about the unsolved problem. Uh, difficulty um, practicing um, safe sex. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one for many parents, but the, the steps are exactly the same. The first step is the empathy step, and this is where we are going to be gathering information from the kid about uh, his concern or perspective or point of view on what's making it hard to meet that particular expectation. So I'll give you an example of that in a second. Let's just get th through all three. The second step is called the Define Adult Concerns step. It's where the uh, adult is entering his or her concerns into perspective. Adults have very important concerns as well. Regrettably, adults frequently try to get those concerns addressed through use of Plan A, mm, mm. not getting that exact same concern addressed through use of Plan B. It is really tragic that Plan A has been our definition of authority for so long. 
You are right. Absolutely. You are much more of an authority figure when you're working with the kid to solve problems than when you are imposing your will, becoming the enemy, making it adversarial. All of that has been so unnecessary for so long, words can't say. Mm. If an adult has concerns, plan B is going to get them addressed far more durably and far more reliably than plan A. The third step is the invitation. That's where kid and caregiver, if this is kid adult problem solving, you could do this between two kids, you could do this between two adults, you could do this as a family, you could do this as an entire classroom. But if this is kid adult problem solving, then this is where kid and caregiver are collaborating on a solution. But a solution that must meet two criteria, gotta be realistic, meaning both parties can truly do what they're agreeing to do, got to be mutually satisfactory, meaning the solution truly addresses the concerns of both parties. Before I give an example, here's on the taking out the trash unsolved problem, uh, here's what I've been saying a lot these days. If the solution isn't realistic and mutually satisfactory, I promise you this unsolved problem is still not solved. So let's move back to difficulty taking out the trash on Tuesday mornings. Mm -hmm. Here's what the empathy step would sound like when we introduce the unsolved problem to the kid. I've noticed you've been having difficulty taking the trash out on Tuesday mornings. What's up? Now we hope the kid says something. There are lots of things we can do if the kid doesn't say anything or says, I don't know, but <laughs> for, per for our purposes at the moment, Let's say the kid says something. Um, I forget. Mm. Now we're going to use one of what I call our drilling strategies. What people will also find on the Lives in a Balance website is the drilling cheat sheet. Because one of the biggest reasons caregivers have the plan B ship run aground is because they don't know how to gather additional information from the kid. So there's eight drilling strategies. I'm going to pick the one that I recommend people use most often, even though there's seven others, reflective listening, which is simply saying back to the kid whatever the kid just said to you. You forget. Can you tell me more about that? Now let's hear what the kid has to say more. Well, I know I'm supposed to take out the trash, but I forget that it's Tuesday, and by the time I hear the trash truck, it's too late for me to get the trash out. Mm. Reflective listening once again. Got it. So you want to take the trash out, but you forget that it's Tuesday. And when the trash truck, when you hear it, you remember, but it's too late to get the trash out. Do I have that right? Yes, that's right. Now what we're going to do is another drilling strategy. We're going to summarize and ask for more. Is there anything else making it hard for you to take out the trash on Tuesday morning? It's stinky. Hmm. Ah, the trash is stinky. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it's stinky. And that makes it hard for you to take the trash out? Well, I don't really like smelling it. Good to know. So there are two reasons you're having difficulty taking out the trash. I'm summarizing again. It's stinky and you forget. Are there any other reasons you have difficulty taking the trash out on Tuesday mornings? I'm going to cut this short and say, no, that's it. All right. Now, which of those two would you say is more important, the forgetting or the stinky? 
definitely the forgetting. All right, good to know. Let me tell you what my concern is about the difficulty you're having taking the trash out on Tuesday mornings. That's the signal that we're about to enter the define adult concern step, by the way. Mm -hmm. My concern is that if you forget to take that trash out on Tuesday morning, one of two things is going to happen. Either I have to do it, or since I think you're going to do it, this is what's been happening, the trash just completely piles up. And then we have this huge pile of trash, and you're right, it is stinky. Very legitimate concern on the part of the adult. <laughs> yes. Now let's move into the invitation. The invitation always begins with the words, I wonder if there's a way. Mm. Generically, what you're doing in the invitation is wondering if there's a way to solve this problem. But what you want to do in terms of wording is recap or restate the concerns of both parties. So here's what it would sound like. Wonder if there's a way for us to do something about you forgetting to take the trash out on Tuesday mornings and also make sure that we don't have this big pile of trash accumulating outside of our house. That we've now just put the two concerns of both parties back on the table. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we're then going to do is give the kid the first crack at the solution. Not because it's his job to solve the problem. As I always tell people, it's y'all's job to solve the problem. Y'all are a team. Y'all are partners. If the kid doesn't have any ideas, we hope you do. But it's good strategy to give the kid the first crack. It lets him know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're actually interested in his ideas. You got any ideas? Um, let's say he does have ideas. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Let's say he does. Um, is there some way that we could remind me? Hmm. Well, I'm, I bet there is some way that we could remind you. Although there have been times when I've reminded you and you have gotten mad at me. So apparently I'm reminding you in a way that doesn't go over so well. <laughs> right. So we would need a way of reminding you that you're good with. Um, well... I could put it in my calendar in my iPhone. Mm. You could put taking the trash out on Tuesdays in the calendar in your iPhone. Yeah, I could do that. And then you wouldn't irritate me by reminding me the way you do with that <laughs> nasty tone of yours. <laughs> um, all right, why don't we do, Well, let's think about whether that solution is realistic. Um, do you think you can do that? Can you put that in your iPhone? Yeah, I can do that. Let's think about whether it's mutually satisfactory. Would it address your concern of forgetting to take the trash out in the morning? Yeah, I think it would. It would certainly address my concern of having the trash pile up outside the household because then you'd be taking the trash out. Should we run with that solution and see how it goes? Yeah. And if it doesn't work, we'll get back together and talk about it again and come up with one that works better. Good? Good. Thanks for talking with me about this, buddy. Wow. That was so beautifully done. I think everybody's just going to want you to come over and have these conversations with their kids as your, your language is so effortless and it feels really manageable. Uh, and, and it also sounds like the child would feel really listened to and 
it does feel really collaborative, just like you were saying. It's very collaborative. Both parties get heard. Both parties get their concerns addressed. What a lot of people think about are the problems that are going to arise. Maybe their kid is a non-talker. We cover, you know, there isn't, I've, pro- I've done this with 2,000 kids. I've probably done Plan B 10,000 times mm-hmm. in the last 20 or so years. So at this point, I don't know if there's a difficulty that people could run into that isn't addressed either on the website uh, or in one of the books. The most common problems are the kid wouldn't talk. Um, uh, the, one of the biggest issues is that people try to do plan B in the heat of the moment, uh-huh. right at the second that the kid's having difficulty taking the trash out, which is terrible timing, especially since he's been having difficulty taking the trash out for the last three years. Why we're stuck in the heat of the moment yet again on that one, I have no idea. It's very predictable. But all of the difficulties people could run into because that one went really smoothly and they don't always are addressed either on the website or in the books. People can find the answers they're looking for. They're all there. Absolutely. I definitely encourage people to look at the books and the website, and those links will be in the podcast notes on my website. So those of you who are driving, no worries. We have got you covered. So what we covered just before is is a great common problem. It's not doing a chore. So let's say that a child is now always late for school. They are making the parent late. It's getting really frustrating. As a parent, it feels like he or she has already tried everything. And they've even woken the child up earlier. And now the child needs to get one last thing or all of a sudden needs to go to the bathroom before school and we're late again. So once you get to a point where the parent feels like they've tried all the strategies now, and now they're feeling resentful, they're feeling frustrated, and their tone is not as patient as it once was, that happens to the best of us. So what do we do when we feel that we've already exhausted all of our strategies, and now we're back having the conversation again with our child, and probably a little bit more worn from the circumstance? Well, here's my experience. Adults get worn out because they've been applying what I call uninformed solutions. Mm. They've been flying solo. They've been yes. going alone, right? And so the reason adults get, the reason adults, teachers, parents lose their minds, blow <laughs> their gaskets, whatever terminology you want to use, right? is because they haven't been partnering with the kid on solving the problem. They don't really know what's getting in the kid's way because they haven't asked. They've been coming up with it all on their own. Mm -hmm. They've been thinking they know what's getting in the kid's way and they've been applying solutions based on what they think they know. I cannot tell you how many jaw-dropping moments I have seen occur when adults finally do the empathy step with a kid finally learn what's really getting in the kid's way and finally discover why all of these solutions they've been applying could not possibly have worked. Mm. So, you know, um, I'm kind of a simple guy. My answer to solutions that aren't working is that they probably haven't done plan B yet. They probably haven't done the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems yet. They've been going it alone. Mm. No reason to go it alone. 
Right. You don't have to go it alone. And as you were saying, you probably shouldn't go it alone. Now, one of the things that you mentioned earlier is that a child might not be as responsive when you ask what's going on in the morning and what's getting in the way of us leaving on time, trying to get to that empathy piece. So if a child says, I don't know, what is your next step to still collaboratively getting to the point where you can problem solve and you feel like you're trying, but the child really isn't giving you any information? Well, a lot of caregivers think that now that they're finally doing the empathy step, the kid's going to talk on the first go. We've got to remember that the kid probably has a long history of plan A. Yes. Which means we've never asked this kind of question before which means we may have a kid who hasn't thought about his concerns for a very long time because he's become accustomed to having those concerns go unheard, unaddressed, dismissed, disregarded. This is all extremely sad that we have kids who feel like there's no point in talking because nobody's listening. We may have a kid who's thinking, what are they up to now? They're going to lower the boom the minute I open my mouth. Why talk? So we have many kids out there who are reluctant to talk to us adults, and I promise you they weren't born that way. Um, we got to give them time, first of all. What I'm going to say to the kid very initially is, uh, you know what? Think about it, buddy. Uh, Mm. uh, we got time here. And by the way, you're not in trouble, and I'm not mad at you. And by the way, I'm also not going to tell you what to do here. I really want to understand what's making that hard for you. So we may have to do some reassuring. We may have to be quiet. Us adults like to talk. And if a kid is not coming forth with the answers to the questions uh, immediately, we often jump in with our theories again. But if all else fails, I often teach the kid five fingers. And this is too simple, but I use it all the time. Five means very true. Four means pretty true. Three means sort of true. Two means not very true. One means not true at all. And then I have the caregivers make statements. And yes, these are probably theories. But what we're then looking for is the kid to hold up fingers to let us know how true the statement is. I have, this is my number one strategy with kids who once I get through, let's we're not doing this in the heat of the moment. Right. Once I get through, we're listening. Once I get through, you're not in trouble. If I still have a kid who's not talking, fingers usually, almost always, gets me the information I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So would a, a statement be something like, is there something at school that is making you not want to go? Like right. that kind of a thing? Are you asking well, questions just, to get them? Uh, well, I wouldn't make it in a question. Right, 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 right. There's something going on at school that's making you not want to go. If I get a five, I've hit pay dirt, but now I need more specifics. Uh, I get uh, it. Somebody's bullying you at school. If I get a one, I know I've missed it. Uh, you're worried that Mrs. Thomas is going to make you read out loud. If I get a five, I got pay dirt. That's what it looks like. Oh, I see. That makes a lot of sense. And what a good way of getting feedback with a child who 
hasn't been giving you too much verbal feedback in the past. Okay, so this is all incredibly interesting. And I'm wondering for families that are really trying to establish respectful cultures in their families, they have other children too, and most families have rules or expectations or agreements, some explicitly stated, others more alluded to, about things like cleaning up your own mess or keeping your hands to yourself or knocking before entering. So when it comes to helping all children thrive, but of course kids with challenging behaviors as well, how do you suggest that parents talk to children about these types of more general guidelines that they'd like each family member to follow so that interactions are more calm and respectful can having rules or guidelines or agreements or expectations be advantageous for a child who has been exhibiting challenging behaviors well um first of all i don't come across too many kids who aren't clear on what the expectations are. Mm-hmm. And that sounds crazy to a lot of people because a lot of people are very focused on making sure that their expectations are crystal clear. Um, I haven't come across any kids who when I ask, is it okay to hit your brother? No, of course it's not okay to hit my brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, do your parents want you to take the trash out on Tuesday mornings? Yeah, they want me to take the trash out on Tuesday mornings. Mm-hmm. So I don't find I don't have people put a great deal of effort into coming up with a list of expectations. I find that um, people are fairly clear about their expectations in general. Now, if I have parents or teachers who aren't clear about what their expectations are, um, then that's something we would need to work on. But I don't come across. I actually do come across parents and and other caregivers who aren't so clear on what Mm. their expectations are, but I don't come across that many kids who aren't clear about what the expectations are. It's kind of fascinating. So if parents or other caregivers need that, then we got to work on it. But um, what do I, and by the way, most kids, even behaviorally challenging ones, are meeting most expectations, which many caregivers of behaviorally challenging kids find hard to believe, but the kid is actually meeting more expectations than he or she isn't. Hmm. What we've got to do is identify the ones the kid isn't meeting reliably. And then what we got to do is plan B. I right. mean, I know all of this sounds pretty simple, but we need to know what the expectations are that the kid's having difficulty meeting. We need to prioritize them, and then we need to get to work solving them. You are really helping to make something click in my mind that – If the expectation in your home is that if you take something out, you put it back, and your child is not doing that, the end-all, be-all answer is not a consequence, but a discussion as we need to talk collaboratively with our children. So it's more of a marker or an indicator that something is going awry, not so much an indicator that this child needs a reminder of the expectation and that they need a consequence because of it. Well, there's no harm in reminding a kid of what your expectation is. There is tremendous harm in immediately thinking of a consequence Mm -hmm. on an expectation a kid is having difficulty meeting when that consequence is going to give you no information whatsoever about what's making it hard for the kid to meet that expectation. So this is the common, in my opinion, counterproductive pattern. We remind, we remind, we remind. Okay, 
the kid only really needs one reminder for him to be crystal clear that you have this expectation, mm -hmm. right? If we then lower the boom, we still have no information whatsoever. And we are relying entirely on boom lowering, whatever that looks like, to help that kid meet that expectation without knowing anything about what's getting in the kid's way. My attitude, great way to end communication, great way to mess up your relationship with this kid, great way for the kid not to feel heard. Um, the number one complaint I get from kids is they don't listen to me. Mm. But the number one complaint I get from adults is he won't talk to me. I wonder right. why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know that you've said that you are not supposed to do plan B in the heat of the moment. So if the child is, let's say, not cleaning up their mess and you've done a reminder, is this still a good time to say, you know, this is our expectation, so then getting into what's getting in your way? Well, my bet is that he's been having difficulty cleaning up whatever for a long time. Right. So this is what's interesting is... When I'm working with caregivers, the first thing I'm doing is I'm organizing this for them, right? The first thing I'm doing is I'm helping them figure out what this kid's lagging skills are so they've got the right lenses on. Next thing we're doing is simultaneously is we're trying to figure out what expectations this kid is having difficulty meeting. So now they know what they're working on. And the next thing we're doing is prioritizing. So if difficulty cleaning up your mess is not a high priority, then we are not expecting the kid to clean up his mess right now. Mm. It's plan C, it's gone for now. When will it come back? After we've solved some of our higher priority unsolved problems. If that expectation is in plan B and we haven't gotten around to it yet, then what we're saying is, you know what? This is one of the unsolved problems that's on our list. I'm not gonna solve it in the heat of the moment because that's really bad timing. When can you and I talk about this? Because I'd really understand what's like to understand what's making that hard for you. Mm. If we've already come up with a solution to that problem, we are looking at the kid and we're saying, remember what our solution was? Is this a sign that our solution isn't working and that we need to revisit our solution? Mm. In this model, those are your three possibilities. There's, there's actually one more possibility. Uh, that problem didn't get identified yet. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, it was a surprise. Uh, there's very few surprises left once you know what a kid's lagging skills and unsolved problems are, but it's a surprise. We didn't see it coming, right? We then make a note to self, add this to our list of unsolved problems, decide if this is a high priority and it's going to knock out one of our other two or three high priorities, or is it in plan C? That's the very simple framework that we're using in this model. We really don't want people doing much in the heat of the moment in this model. People are at their worst in the heat of the moment. Yes, everybody, not just the child. Correct. This has been so helpful. I would love to hear your top tip. If you had parents, educators, caregivers right in front of you right now, and they're all dealing with challenging children at different times. 
what would be your top tips so that they could come away with something to do right now? Get on the Lives in a Balance website, find the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, fill it out for this kid so that you know what his lagging skills are, which means you now have the right lenses on and you know what his unsolved problems are. He is now a highly predictable kid. You are now out of the heat of the moment and you are about to embark on a problem-solving process that is not only going to solve the problems, it's going to improve the behavior and teach the skills. It all begins with one sheet of paper. It's free. It's on the website. That's big tip number one. Excellent. Excellent. And you just answered my next question, which was where do you want people to go to get more information about you and all that you do? So I will end with this question instead. If you had a child in front of you who has been a target of plan A for a really long time, what would be the one thing that you would want that child to know? Um, the adults are going to be imposing their will on you much less often, and they're going to be working with you to solve these problems that have been getting in your way for a very long time, much more often. And what we need you to do is to come up with solutions that not only work for you, but that work for them too. Excellent. Excellent. I feel like I've learned so much from listening to you. Your scripting is so accessible and helpful. And I just want to thank you for your insight and your strategies. I loved what you said about how to talk to a child to collaboratively problem solve and really get to that empathy piece. And I really could see how this could work, not just for parents and teachers who have behaviorally challenging kids in their classroom or in their homes, but for any child. And it can help adults as well as it lowers the heat of the heat of the moment for all people involved. So thank you so very much for being on the show today. My pleasure. And I thank you for doing this and making these resources so accessible to people. Thank you so much for saying that. That means a lot to me. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. And I'm also on Instagram and I will be designing memes that showcase Dr. Green's wonderful quotes from this podcast so that you can share them and discuss them on social media. So much to discuss and unpack that was on this podcast today. I sure hope you'll share them with your friends and your followers. I totally appreciate that. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. It means more than you know, so that people can learn more about these outstanding solutions and use them in their own homes, and that people are really going to hear more about this podcast and be able to use these strategies to help themselves and their children. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning into How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there. Show notes are up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. And I know that you've probably heard today that we need to be using that plan B and collaboratively problem solving. And perhaps you haven't done that yet. 
don't fret. You can start today. You can use these strategies now. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.